Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves, continuing medical education podcast. Join us every other week for a lively discussion on the latest and greatest in the field of electrocardiography. We'll discuss some of the exciting and innovative work happening at Mayo Clinic and beyond with the most brilliant minds in the space and provide valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves. In this episode, we'll explore Wolf-Parkinson-White WPW syndrome in athletes. We're excited to have Dr. Guru Kolgi as our esteemed guest and expert in this field and friend of ours. Our focus will be on the concerns associated with WPW syndrome, the identification of individuals at risk of sudden death, and the treatment approaches for these patients. But first, let's introduce our guest today. Dr. Kolge, an assistant professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, completed his medical education at Molana Azad Medical College in the Delhi University in India before pursuing further training in the United States. He finished his internal medicine training a year at the University of Connecticut and his cardiology fellowship at Virginia Commonwealth University in Virginia. And he also had chief years in both of them. Uh, subsequently, he completed his cardiac uh, electrophysiology fellowship here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester and is the, a Mayo Clinic scholar and is the reason we recruited him to stay here. He recently successfully completed and defended his Master of Science program in artificial intelligence and healthcare, and actually in this past week. So congratulations to him. Dr. Colgi has authored over 75 peer-reviewed manuscripts with research interests spanning from cardioneuroablation to cardiac applications of artificial intelligence. He actively participates in the medical community, serving on committees and editorial boards, and has served and earned several awards for his clinical and academic achievements. And we're really lucky to have him today. And if you found him on social media, he's really engaging out there and he uses his handle at the rhythm doc. So make sure you follow him. Dr. Colgi, thanks for joining us today. Matthew, that was such a kind introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I've been excited for this. I'm glad to get you know one of our internal colleagues and someone I look up to uh, here with us. And this is an important topic. We worked on a paper that you helped in, include me in, and I think this is a perfect uh, area for us to kind of share with our audience. You know, a little bit of what exactly is WPW syndrome? You know, for those that don't know, and why does it raise some concerns? So maybe you could start there and shed some light on that. Absolutely. So WPW syndrome stands for Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. It's an eponymous condition that is used to describe patients who have symptoms and tachycardia due to the presence of an accessory pathway connecting the atria and the ventricles. So what happens in normal scenario, normal conduction system starts in the right upper chamber in the sinoatrial node. From there, the conduction goes to the AV node, which is located in the center of the heart, and then that activates the ventricles. But uh, in certain patients, it's a, it's a rare condition where you can have another way of going from the atrium to the ventricles through these accessory pathways or connections of muscles at the annulus. So when these are present, uh, you can have tachycardias that can originate from them where, where the impulse can go from the atrium down the AV node to the ventricle and back up the accessory pathway or the other way around. And then when you have tachycardia along with the presence of a pathway, that is called WPW syndrome. Now, the second part is even more importantly, why are we concerned about these? So one, of course, you know, they can cause patients to have symptoms that can be annoying. But more importantly, the accessory pathways don't have the same rules that apply to the AV node. So, so we know that normal heart rate ranges from 60 to 100 beats a minute. When people exercise, it can go up you know, to about 
160, 180, 200, 220, depending on the age of the patient. But very rare to have someone exercising and their heart rate going up to 300 beats a minute or 400 beats a minute. Whereas in accessory pathway conduction, those rules can vary. So you don't have a ceiling sometimes. And then that varies from patient to patient based on their pathway properties. But because of the uh, chance of conducting at a fast rate, sometimes patients who have atrial fibrillation, for example, another arrhythmia of the top chamber, that can conduct real fast to the bottom chamber, cause ventricular fibrillation, which is an arrhythmia that can lead to sudden cardiac arrest. So which is why we, we are kind of concerned about these pathways. You want to characterize them better and then to treat them if they are high risk. We have this accessory pathway between the atrium ventricles that's not normally there and can rapidly conduct, which can be a problem for some patients. And you mentioned why it raises concerns. And at the end, you, you mentioned there the sudden death. That certainly lights up in my head when I hear that. So how do we determine which patients are at risk for sudden death? And, and how do we go about you know making that decision? Yeah, so great question. And I think for this, we rely on both our history taking capabilities, you know, and then um, diagnostic testing, which are non-invasive and invasive testing. So right from, you know, when we meet the patient, when we get a history, if they give you a history of having syncope or passing out during exercise or something that sounds concerning for cardiogenic syncope, which is usually abrupt and onset, quick on, quick off, you know, patients uh, usually won't remember what transpired. It won't be a mechanical fall. They'll have true loss of consciousness. Some of these episodes should raise concern uh, and red flags in, in the evaluation of a patient who has accessory pathway already. Now, so non-invasive tests can be helpful, such as stress testing. So you can put the patient on a treadmill. So what happens is when you're exercising, your heart rate will go up. So we can get a chance to see what happens to the accessory pathway as the heart rate comes up. So let's say they get to a heart rate of 150 beats a minute. And then uh, we have a sudden loss in pre-excitation or sudden loss in accessory pathway conduction. That tells us that the pathway is probably low risk. This is a pathway that probably cannot conduct when the heart rate is you know, going at, or the atrial rate is 300 beats a minute in atrial fibrillation. So that's, again, a good prognostic sign. Lastly, we can put catheters inside the heart. We can pace different chambers. We can assess the uh, pathway properties by pacing fast in the atrium or the ventricle seeing if it conducts in the anterograde direction from the atrium to the ventricle or the retrograde direction and seeing if it can induce tachycardia. So a combination of these methods, sometimes just history, sometimes history and in non-invasive testing, sometimes all three can help us determine the risk of the pathway. All right. So, you know, you notice someone and I know we've kind of mentioned athletes. Would this apply to, you know, in athletes is right. Are they the, you know, high performing athletes that we see on TV or is this just, you know, normal people that you would use this that aren't athletes, but doing it recreationally, uh, we would use this approach for? Great question. I think this approach stays consistent for normal uh, patients, non-athletes, as well as athletes. Uh, with athletes, we do have certain more and you know, certain considerations that come up. Uh, one, because we know that they're putting themselves at risk of having arrhythmias. Let's say if they have a high-risk pathway, they are sort of competing a lot. And a lot of times, athletes can have chamber enlargement. You know, They can have a normal chamber enlargement, which we call athletic adaptation. So that puts them at risk for having atrial fibrillation later in life. So then if you have atrial fibrillation along with the pathway, the risk of sudden death can go up if it is a high-risk pathway. The other consideration is pre-participation screening. So we don't have guidelines where everyone gets ECGs before participation. But then now if you know that an athlete has a WPW or has an accessory pathway that is present, then it's all the more important to assess the risk of the pathway before we clear them to play uh, in competitive sports. 
So that is where this comes in. And most athletes don't like being told they cannot compete because they have an ECG abnormality, especially if they feel great. So I think for those athletes, they might opt in early age to get an uh, ablation of the pathway or, or get rid of the pathway somehow so it doesn't hinder them later in life. I hadn't thought about that. You're, right. You're always performing. And so they're they're always going to be expected every day to almost be at risk. And so I, I guess one question just on that stratification, would you be more willing to go an invasive route in some of those compared to non-invasive or probably a combination or how do you usually think through that? Yeah, so I think it depends uh, a lot on the patient preference, but I would say this, that just uh, having seen some of these patients in practice and having worked with our uh, colleagues in pediatric EP, we've got a couple of fantastic pediatric electrophysiologists here who do a lot of cases with WPW. I have seen a more aggressive approach, especially for athletes uh, and high-risk professions like pilots, commercial drivers. So in them, even if they're asymptomatic, uh, you tend to go uh, with a more aggressive approach in testing with either invasive testing and with ablation, which is a method of delivering energy with catheters to get rid of these pathways. So, so yes, I mean, uh, I've seen a more aggressive approach with athletes for sure. Very good. And, you know, you, you talked about ablation. We're, we're going to have to have you on to talk about ablation and who, who has to go, you know, for that. But, you know, what is the treatment approach for these patients with WPW? You know, how do we typically manage them after yeah. the stratification? Yeah, great question. So let's say we've come to a point where we have identified this patient as having symptomatic accessory pathway or WPW syndrome or a high-risk pathway, and we have decided that we want to get rid of it. If this was back in the 1970s, the patient would be getting a sternotomy, getting their chest cut open, a surgeon going inside, finding the accessory pathway, visualizing it, and cutting it uh, with a scalpel. But now things have come a long way, right? So we have non uh, or less invasive technology where we can put catheters through the groin vein, sometimes through the neck, uh, and then find out where the pathway is, assess the properties, uh, find the pathway with the help of signals, uh, fluoroscopy, which is x-ray, our mapping systems, which are these 3D electroanatomic mapping systems. Once we know where the pathway is, we can deliver thermal energy, either heat energy or cold energy with the help of catheters and try to get rid of the pathway that way. So once we render that tissue inexcitable and lose pathway conduction, the risk of that coming back is extremely low. So that's kind of what we do in the EP lab. It's a lot of fun. So for those listening who are interested, you're welcome to you know come see us anytime. That's great. It's so exciting. I always get excited when I talk to you, to you and just those in the field that are dealing with this. And so as we conclude our discussion here, we've looked at the intricacies of caring for our patients, our athletes, and even those asymptomatic with WPW syndrome, examining important concerns. We talked about the sudden cardiac death and that vital risk stratification process of those that are at higher risk. And what does that treatment approach you know, look like? You mentioned even ablating that pathway if necessary. I hope Hope this episode has been enlightening for you as much as it has been for me. Dr. Colgi, we appreciate your invaluable expertise and insights on this topic. On behalf of our entire team, thank you for joining us and I hope you'll come back. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast at cveducation.mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to a Mayo Clinic cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform. And tune in every other week to explore today's most pressing electrocardiography topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.